But there is the secularism that is a hard secularism, and it sees any type of faith or appeal to something outside of what is tangible as wrong and even dangerous, and it must be expunged. It is a thought crime and insists all matters be discussed in terms of agnostic materialism. So what happens in practice is that our society begins to create laws that are really against the understanding that the church promotes in terms of what's true, what's right, what's just. And then those laws become the law of the land and begin to justify other laws because it's in our constitution. From the sense of the church which from the beginning has been against abortion because it is the taking of a life as we understand it but now the government has sanctioned abortion and so now people are appealing to the constitution to justify it because it has become a law in a secular society but it is not an issue that will go away ever there will always be a remnant that will fight against it because of the understanding of the individual as created in the image of God and there are lines in the sand that if we cross them then we are transgressing God's commands and then we begin to be on a slippery slope so what appears as neutral is really uh, the, dis the beginning of the destruction of the individual. Why is that? Because from God we get the, the, the value of the individual as created in his image and likeness. And with that comes inherent value. Not based on what we do or what we produce, but really based on who we are. When that goes away, when God is taken away, then, as we've seen in our society, we really have nothing to appeal to for law and order other than majority opinion or what I feel like or who can get control of power and make up the laws and then they become arbitrary. Uh, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they were not ten suggestions. They were commandments that protected relationship so that authentic honest relationship would be preserved so you love the Lord your God love your neighbor as yourself do not commit adultery do not steal these things aren't arbitrary commands they're commands to build a society on that will preserve the integrity of the person once that is gone there's no protection of the individual there's just raw power and each of us then becomes a monad for monetary significance we're, we're a consumer we can buy we can sell our value is based on money not inherent worth and so that's a danger to the society that will expunge from its institutions any notion of a transcendent being that would provide laws and guidance for a society and we end up making up the laws 
for our society. And, and when you do that, uh, that's why it was so hard to argue. I listened when they were doing the thing on, uh, on marriage equality. Uh, I said, really, there's, if you don't appeal to a transcendent reality, there's no reason to say anybody can, anybody can get married. You can marry your brother, your sister, your, you can have multiple wives. That's, that's the next uh, thing that's going to be to fall because it's basically based on opinion and, and reason, but not on a transcendent reality. So, so therefore, it is more or less uh, democratic values that will emerge. And when that happens, we're all in danger. Because the minute we become useless to society, then we can be eliminated. So in order to preserve uh, society in balance and harmony, and in, in really in communion, uh, it's really values that we're talking about. And those are values that are rooted and given to us in uh, the context of the Christian culture. So... The, uh, in this day and age, we, we really, two, two kingdoms are colliding. Uh, secular is, the, the word itself, secular, from the Latin, is about uh, the time of this age. So it is uh, time within the world, and uh, from, from a Christian perspective, we talk about an eternal realm of time. So when God tells us you can't serve God and mammon, he's pointing out the extremes that we reduce our life to. We either connect ourselves to God and follow him and serve him, or we separate ourselves from God and we're reduced to seeking after money. And those are extremes and, and people aren't necessarily live their everyday life in either of those extremes. They're kind of intermingled on some level. But when it comes to extreme power, we see what has happened in this world in the, in the last uh, century and in this century that power becomes ruthless and there's no stopping it. And there's, there's the worst things done to humanity in the name of of power and and we see it in the world wars we see it in the holocaust we see it in the wars taking place nowadays there's no buffer uh, to people's ambitions and justifications of war if somebody does hits me and i'm going to hit them back and i'm gonna, it just ex escalates uh into into chaos and into destruction so when we examine the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, they are two very different sets of values. And hidden behind secularism is ultimately is the ruler of this world, and that is Satan. He wants to disguise it as neutral. He doesn't want to expose himself as, as, as a god, but he's really behind the whole movement, and that is the rejection of God's kingdom, which is really based on love, and he turns it into a system based on ruthlessness. Not on love, not on freedom. It's based on enslavement, sucking the life out of us, uh, turning us into machines rather than being persons. 
Whereas God truly gives us freedom, and with freedom we are have the opportunity to really love God and not just be uh, machines or robots, but people with free will. <coughs> so <clears throat> what we find in this world is secularism slowly eroding the interest in religion. Even the, even the phrase spiritual but not religious is the first step on that slippery slope. Because what it does is it disincarnates the faith. And what do I mean by disincarnating the faith? It means that it spiritualizes faith and individualizes it. In other words, it's my private spiritual relationship with God. Rather than seeing our salvation as a community of believers. And that we serve one another and that Christ didn't wave a wand to fix his creation he came into the world and took on flesh and dwelt among us and so as orthodox Christians we understand that incarnational dim dimension in everything we do we're not dualists that think spirit good matter bad we say God created everything that he is present everywhere and fillest all things. So we see over here in the icon uh, that Christ <coughs> came into the darkness of this world. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we see him in this image wrapped in grave clothes and placed in a tomb rather than swaddling clothes and placed in a manger foretelling why he came into the world. And then as he grew up and began his ministry, he was teaching his apostles, he was showing them, Behold, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what is the kingdom of heaven? What are the rules of the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's to live the way Christ lived, the Sermon on the Mount, to love each other, to sacrifice for each other. When we do that, we all benefit. But when we refuse to do that, then we have an escalation of power for control and we know what happens in the world when that happens. And that takes us to Christ and his trial before uh, Pontius Pilate, the Sanhedrin, the condemnation by the high priests, uh, that he eventually was crucified. And that was no surprise. He knew that that's why he had come into the world. But while he is on the cross, he says, it is finished. Now, there's many ways to interpret that, what is finished, but the Orthodox understand that he means his creation is now complete, that a human being has reached his full potential by loving God, serving God, and not sinning. So we understand Christ as perfect God and perfect man. And so, when we turn to the icon of the resurrection, this is our teaching of what is salvation. We see Christ trampling the gates of hell. That, that we see the keys and the, and the locks and the hinges and the nails shattering the gates of hell. Why is that? Because Hades was meant for those who had sinned and died. 
But here he was, death was not for someone who has not sinned. So death could not hold life. And he shattered the gates of hell and he reopened the gates of paradise. And he raises Adam and Eve from their tombs so that, that he stands in the crossroads of history with King David, King Solomon, St. John the Baptist, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. The cross is actually not an incidental life in God's creation, but it's a manifestation of his very nature, that he loves and empties himself. We call it kenosis in Greek, that self-emptying where he emptied of his glory and took on flesh. He humbled himself as a servant to serve us and to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. So for, a, for the kingdom of God, when you enter into the kingdom of God, you follow the rules of the kingdom. And those rules are there to lead us to life. So what he did for Adam was he set Adam free from sin and death and everyone subsequent after his, uh, after his resurrection and now the beginning of the church he establishes that opportunity for all his creatures through baptism, chrismation, receiving the body of Christ to continue the journey that Adam had begun. In other words, he's created, we're, we are all created in God's image and likeness. The likeness is the dynamic part of us becoming like God. So we're Orthodox Christians, we say theosis is the goal of uh, creation, that is, to become like God. And, uh, and if you've read C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, he uses a phrase that is actually taken from St. Gregory of Nyssa in the 4th century. Uh, he says, we go further up and further in. And he's talking about our relationship with God in that process of becoming like Him, which Gregory of Nyssa referred to as going from glory to glory. That means at every state of our development in faith, we grow more and more and more into His image and likeness. And this is not something that ends at death. Death is our rebirth. Death is our entry into eternity where we will continue that journey and never exhaust it because God is infinite and inexhaustible. But in the meantime, we have the church. The church that, body, that Christ established, body and soul, institution. We, we, we know that the church is a divine human institution. We're crazy about the divine part, but we're not so crazy about the human part. Because that's where we find uh, grumblings and ego and hard to work with people. Now we have 40,000 different denominations. And, and that's not over theological issues as much as potato salad recipes to just show how insignificant the reasons for breaking apart uh, were. From, for, from an orthodox perspective, we have the icon screen which separates the nave from the Holy of Holies where we celebrate the divine liturgy and that's set up over here for you to read about and see what exactly we've been doing from the time of the early church in commemorating, uh, it says, do this in remembrance of me. It says. Uh, take, dr eat, this is my body, uh, the uh, shed, uh, broken apart 
for you and drink. This is my blood shed for you, for many, for the remission of sins. So Christ established this bloodless sacrifice that we can continue from the time of the incarnation when Christ was a baby until he comes again in his glory. The church is here as a living example, the body of Christ. So for Orthodox Christians, we're not to just get discouraged with this age. We don't confuse our agenda with the world agenda. The world's going to go the way it wants to go. Uh, they say we're, we're kind of like the 4th century. All the heresies, but none of the intelligence. So there were fightings and arguments about theology way back then, and they just keep getting resurrected in every age. So we are in a situation now where people are lost. People don't understand theology. They, they co confuse theology with politics and think we can create this world in the image uh, of the kingdom of heaven. And we see that of all the countries, all the countries that became communist were actually orthodox countries. Russia, Serbia, Bulgaria, Romania, only Greece, an orthodox country that had a big civil war there, they did not become communists. They were this close to it, but they did not become communists. And I think that they were more susceptible to that because of the idealism of living the kingdom of God on earth. The only trouble with the communist way was to enforce it, to make it happen against our will, not respecting free will. And in the process, of course, they had to sacrifice millions of lives, but they figured once all this is taken care of, then we'll have the utopia. And we know that doesn't work because you never get rid of human nature. So the only way for a society to have cohesion, and, and right now our society, we see the, the, the fabric of society has been rent. We're, everyone is after their own rights. No one was willing to sacrifice for the whole. And what that does is instead of everyone benefiting from laying our lives down to take care of the least among us, we're at each other's throats and everybody loses. But does that affect the church? Does that hinder the church? Does that limit the church? No, the church was built on the blood of the martyrs. In other words, that sacrifice, that witness, the embers thought they would wipe out the church by killing the martyrs. But the opposite happened. People saw sincerity. People saw faith. They saw integrity. They saw dignity. And many times they would stand up and testify to Christ and be martyred as well. So the church is really built on the sacrifice, the sacrifice of the cross, that is the self-emptying. What was it Socrates, when they offered him a way out of drinking poison said, why would I want to do that? To ruin my good name and live three or four more years? I'm not afraid of death. I don't even know what death will bring. So why should we escape why should we give up our beliefs and offer the incense to the idols for this world? We say, no, this is the truth. And people, those were the, that was the leaven that leavened the whole lump. And that's why Christianity spread as it did. Because people saw something different in these people. How they loved one another. 
So, when we boil it down, we have these clash of two kingdoms. But even though secular life may make living and following Christ more uncomfortable or more difficult, God didn't call us to comfort. He called us to obedience. So, we don't get to dictate what era, what political system we live under, what geography, it is the gospel. The Evangelion, the good news. And what is the good news? That Christ has conquered death. And we, as his followers, are, can partake in his body and blood that we can begin the kingdom of God now on earth. Uh, we say that, that the first day of the week is actually Sunday because Vefterra, Monday, is the second day of the week. But it's also the eighth day, the beginning of the kingdom to come, a foretaste of what God has offered to us so that we too can live the way he has called us to live and to be saints, to be holy. All right, any questions, any observations, any contradictions?